0: Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the 5-Minute Drill. I'm your host, Simran Sandhu, and today I'm joined by Josh Clemente, who is the co-founder and president of Levels. Levels is also the first metabolic fitness company, and they actually let you track your blood glucose in real time so you can optimize your diet, exercise, and overall health. Now, as always, before we hop into this interview, I'd also like to give a special shout out to our sponsor, DeliverN, which is looking to make it safer to shop on marketplaces like Facebook and Craigslist. Now, that said, Josh, so excited to have you join us today.
1: Simon, thanks for having me.
0: Now, I want to jump right into your amazing background. you worked at SpaceX, Virgin's Hyperloop One, and Mission Integrated Technologies before you got to Levels. Talk to me a bit about your experience at SpaceX and what exactly that entailed.
1: Well, I started at SpaceX right after they initially made it to orbit. And so that was that was when SpaceX was still relatively unknown in the world of, of spaceflight technology, uh, certainly an underdog. And so I got the opportunity to be um, on the ground floor, just basically building like our lives depended on it, which is what the environment, I think, would be best described as. Uh, there was no security. Every launch was a, a make or break launch for the company. And... Many times we were reminded by, uh, you know, Elon and Gwyn, that if we didn't succeed on this flight, we weren't going to have jobs a few weeks later, and and so that pressure, I think, introduced, uh, combined with the quality of the team, introduced just a once in a lifetime opportunity, certainly for me, to um, to really cut away the excess that is oftentimes associated with the space flight industry, and we focused on first principles: what it, does it take to get this product? uh, over the finish line, I say product to get this hunk of metal into orbit, uh, with the payload still intact. And, uh, you know, we, we really didn't spend much time on complex solutions and it was all about just exactly that, getting it done. And and it was a, it was a really brilliant opportunity for me on the manufacturing side when I first got there. And then eventually I moved into the life support systems team. So SpaceX had been successful as a launch provider, and now we were talking about taking humans to space. And so we put together a team internally to start doing that. I was one of the first that got the opportunity to work on that and eventually was able to lead the pressurized life support systems team, which was dealing with uh, oxygen and pressure controls for the cabin and for the spacesuits and the fire suppression systems. And it was another really incredible opportunity to work on, um, you know, the evolution of systems that are keeping astronauts alive right now uh, in orbit.
0: Okay. So for our first roll out of college, this sounds like a lot of pressure and you're working in a fast paced do or die kind of environment. How did that impact the way you approached other career decisions and ultimately what you're doing now with your own startup?
1: Well, you know, there's a benefit to, to not having a pre-existing awareness, right? So, uh, ignorance is helpful in certain scenarios. And so for me, it was the first job I'd had. I, I really didn't know what it was like to work at a big company that didn't have an existential <laughs> crisis on it. Um, and the nice thing is that the mission was crystal clear always. There was no, it, there was no pivot on the horizon. It was like, we're going to either do this thing or we're going to die trying. And so that gives a lot of having that clarity of scope and also having the team and the the leadership, more importantly, who are willing to pull out all the stops to get you the resources you need to succeed. Um, gave me a really, you know, frankly, a, a, a really great experience. I never felt, despite knowing that, this could fail and and we could all end up uh, looking for other jobs. It was, um, it was always quite comforting to know that you're in it together and that you are not going to be, you know, sort of left solo trying to figure things out, if that makes sense. And so I I really quite enjoyed it. And I think that um, that sort of, that experience definitely carries over, right? And here at Levels, we um, you know, we, we use terminology at early stage startups that you're default dead until you're not right. And that's like the product market fit chasm. When you cross the chasm, suddenly you're default alive. And that's what every small company has to be thinking about is like, what is stopping you from, uh, becoming default alive focus there. Don't, don't solve the, the complex, you know, sort of nice to have aesthetic functions, figure out what your customers need and build that for them, uh, and do it as quickly as you can, because, uh, time moves faster than you might expect, and and there's a lot of ways to burn resources.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, those are all great points. Now, you're an engineer by trade, but just talking high level here, you worked in aerospace, then defense, and now you're in biowearables. What was it like to make these transitions in industries, which I'm assuming are so vastly different from one another?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's, there's something to be said for just um, developing... An intuition for solving problems and then you once you once you have that you start to see problems that can be solved all over the place and um you know my dad used to use this mark twain quote all the time which was all you need in life is ignorance and confidence and what that means i think is that if you don't know how things are done then you won't worry about doing them differently and if you have the confidence to do them differently then you'll do them and so it's like. Um, that's kind of what's necessary. I feel like to bridge between industries and to feel confident in doing so is like, I don't have the credentials really to work in several of the industries I've worked in. But at the end of the day, if you don't get hung up there and you just think about what's the problem that I, that, that I see that could be solvable here. Um, and, and so at SpaceX, the problem was obvious, you know, I believe in, in space flight as the future of civilization. And I think that it's important that we get costs down and we get lift capacity up. And so reusability is an absolute necessity there. So that was obvious. Um, in the defense industry, you know, it's a slightly more nuanced problem, but certainly there was a, an opportunity to make uh, people safer while they were trying to rescue others. And then in the health industry, I myself experienced the problem that I think needs solving, which is that metabolic dysfunction comes on slowly and society's not paying attention to it. And there's an opportunity to close the loop between the actions we take every day and the reactions our bodies experience and use our health data to make better choices. And that is not currently, it doesn't exist today. And it's obvious to me that as the rate of dysfunction accelerates globally, this has to exist or we will, uh, we have no other option essentially. So it will exist and if it can, um, you know, what what I experienced and I'm happy to jump into my own uh, story but what I experienced was kind of like a patient zero example of it. And so there was no qualification needed. It was just, oh yeah, this is a problem and it's solvable
0: yep and you completely read my mind there because that's exactly what i was going to ask you next what inspired you to go and create levels and tackle this problem with metabolic health
1: well you know first off health is the compounded outcome of the decisions we make over you know days years decades um people are living lives without any feedback on the decisions they're, they're making and so this is how you end up in an environment where we're constantly stimulated, we're not sleeping well, we're stressed all the time, and our food is tailored for the convenience of our lives rather than for nutrition. And so it's very easy without feedback to course correct. It's very easy for people to end up way off the track of health. Um, and so I experienced that myself. I'm, I'm someone who has never really experienced weight gain necessarily. I've been uh, you know, fairly fit my whole life, certainly played sports, worked out a lot uh, I was a crossFit trainer for the past eight years um, but while I was at SpaceX I started to experience inexplicable fatigue symptomatic um, you know episodes where I would be shaky and, un- and just uncomfortable and I'd need to just sit down and my irritation and my my cognitive faculties were not around me. I was always struggling to remember things and just feeling generally irritable and this came on slowly but I one day I just woke up and realized like I feel like I have a terminal illness something has gone wrong and I can't really explain why or where it came from um, to make a long story short I worked with my doctor and he, he ran a couple you know standard blood panels didn't really find anything out of the ordinary however I started on my own just reading into the literature on energy and on metabolism which is the, it's the set of processes that take our food and environment and turn it into energy for every cell in the body and so it became clear that metabolism or metabolic health is the foundation upon which physical health and mental health are built. You can't have a you know, brain tissue that works well if, if your brain cells can't get energy. You can't have strong muscle tissue if you can't unleash energy. And so that's all metabolic in nature. So I became obsessed with this. I started pricking my finger actually to measure the primary energy molecule, which is glucose uh, or blood sugar, as we call it. And couldn't make much, much sense of it. It was just kind of a point cloud. I was using Excel and all this stuff. It was getting kind of crazy. But then I read about this technology called CGM. Uh, continuous glucose monitoring and this was developed for people with diabetes so that you know for those with diabetes they've lost control of the glucose feedback loop so glucose starts to rise uncontrollably and that causes cellular destruction so even though glucose is an important molecule it needs to stay in a tight range where it starts to destroy the peripheral tissue the nervous system uh, you start to have complications with cardiovascular disease blindness uh, uh, stroke alzheimer's dementia is called type 3 diabetes so a lot of bad things start happening so I became aware of this and the, these devices, and I wanted one of those myself because I'm pricking my finger and basically replicating this function. I asked my doctor for one, and he just denied me flat out and said, like, this is not for you. It's for sick people. Um, and so, you know, putting my systems engineering hat on, it, it didn't make any sense that if you're trying to understand how a system works, you have to measure the, the you know, the most important data streams associated with it. And if you want to prevent a system from failing, you need to already be measuring it. You can't measure it after it's failed and try to fix it. That's not the way that you design uh, complex systems. So it felt quite frustrating for me. I eventually got a CGM and within about a week, I realized that I was either borderline or full-blown pre-diabetic. And that's when things really changed for me is I I looked into the data and and understood very quickly that this is a much bigger and quieter problem than I had realized. Um, In the US today, we have over 120 million people we either have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. And of the, the say, 84 million who have prediabetes, almost 90% of them don't know they have it. So this is a quietly developing disorder that affects different people differently. And the reason became obvious to me, it, it's that people don't have the feedback. They don't know that the choices they're making each day are driving them in a direction. and And so that's uh, that experience and the CGM giving me direct insight into the effects of my nutrition, my exercise, my sleep quality, my stress levels each day, um, it transformed my approach to life. I, I, I truly became, uh, I think, in tune with my body in a way that I had never been before, and I just knew uh, this is something I wanted to work on. It was, it was fascinating to me. It helped me probably avoid a lifetime of uh, unnecessary chronic illness, and I, I want to proliferate it, and that's what Levels is.
0: No, that's amazing. I mean, it's a problem you personally faced, and then you were determined enough to go and do something about it. And throughout that process, you found your other co-founders who also come from very impressive backgrounds. How did you go about connecting with them and getting them to go pursue this problem with you?
1: Well, my my co-founders were all within about one degree of uh, network separation from me. So uh, Sam Corcos, who's the the first person I was able to convince to come aboard, he and I have had known each other for several years. We were we were sort of like professional network uh, friends. So we we knew each other and we cared a lot about what, what each was doing professionally. We weren't very, you know, we weren't like close personal friends, but we knew how each other operate, their principles. We we agreed on the way the wor- world works and the way to attack problems. And because I had that context, um, you know, Sam was one of the first people that I really dove deep on this, this concept with because I felt so strongly that he had the skill set that could be complementary to what this project needs and it was the same you know with david and andrew and casey uh, who each bring expertise in a certain area but also the way that they think about the world and the way they think about health specifically was super compatible with with what the the vision for levels was um and so the the reason first of all you know i think it's really important for people to focus on shared principles um it, it's not You'll find a lot of people, if you have a great idea, you'll find a lot of people who believe it's, it's the future, believe that it's worth pursuing. But you really need to agree on the how and the why, more importantly. You, you need to understand how this person uh, looks at the world. Because once, the, once you know, sort of the company is moving, you need to be able to rely on and trust each other to, to have the same sort of mental models. And um, I think that it, it's important to, to yeah, have that pre-existing trust with a co-founder and we we luckily have that across all of us here at levels and it's a really amazing thing to see once you do find that person you know who who you're intellectually compatible with and you're working on the same problem together it's just unbelievable how quickly it becomes a force multiplier
0: yeah that's great i think finding that alignment is usually one of the toughest things you can do when you're searching for potential co-founders now, when you guys decided to come together and do this, what were some of the first steps you took? Was it building a prototype, conducting market research, or something else?
1: Well, there, there's quite a bit of backstory. You know, I, when I left SpaceX, I spent about a year um, at Hyperloop working on essentially space technology in a tube. And then after that, I spent a year entrepreneurially working on the Mission Created Technologies uh, product, which is like, it's a tactical equipment for government sales. While I was working on Hyperloop and, and uh, we call it MIT for, for short, um, I had this side project of learning about my own health. And r- that evolved very quickly into like a total all-consuming passion. And so I spent the year after uh, designing the tactical vehicle immersed in research and trying to develop the concept for levels. And, and it took some time to, to land on the key pieces. Um, so I had done quite a bit of regulatory um, and sort of legal and say mechanistic research into like, what, what are the moving parts and how, what needs to happen in order for more people to gain access to their real time blood sugar levels, um, such that we can then build the behavior change platform on top of it, right? Cause that's what ultimately levels is. Um, and so, so that year was spent in research mode, not a lot of forward progress on paper, but a lot of, you know, background development work. And then when the, the co-founding team came together, we were able to hit the ground running and it was you know there was a good concept in place there was a proof of concept more importantly where we could use existing technology continuous glucose monitors um, and give these you know get get access to them for people such that they can monitor their glucose and suddenly the questions start to arise people once you have that data stream it becomes really in- insightful and, and you're like whoa you know there's all of these intuitive and counterintuitive things happening and that's where you can add more value um, so we were able to get a proof of concept going almost immediately within a few weeks of, of putting the team together, and uh, and from there we were able to raise some seed money and develop the first app concept. So um, to kind of close the loop on all of this, you know the the important thing to think about, um, you know, as it relates to what Levels is working on is that. These devices, continuous glucose monitors, have been around for more than 10 years. They're, they, they've been used and clinically approved for the management of diabetes. And, and what they do is they provide a raw data stream. They just tell you, your, this is your glucose level. Um, that's that's fantastic. And they've developed in a really promising direction hardware-wise. But they don't tell you what is what lifestyle choices you're making to, to induce these levels and what you should do about it or could do better. And so levels, you know, we exist as... The platform on top of the hardware so we're the interface between raw data and behavior change Um, and you know you can kind of think about this the way you had will ahmed from from whoop on right and whoop is essentially a behavior change model built on top of heart rate monitoring so uh you know simple heart rate monitor that gives you your your bpm versus a whoop are two entirely different things a whoop tells you how to make your sleep better how to make your training better uh, levels sits on top of h- raw glucose data, and we tell you where the interface between nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress exists and how you can optimize. So it's important that we, we improve accessibility of the hardware and simultaneously build this, um, this intelligent layer on top to lead towards better outcomes.
0: Wow, I mean that's really interesting, and clearly people want this information because even though you're in beta, you have tens of thousands of people who are on your wait list. So, how do you even create buzz for a product or service like this?
1: Yeah, so most recent numbers are we're at we're at about 118,000 on the wait list. So <laughs> things are things are moving. No, it's uh, it's hard to stay on top of it myself, but I, I think that the the way that there's a there's so much pent up interest in this space that has not been tapped into because there's an assumption that people only care about health information if they're sick. And that is a, it's a misassumption. So people actually care quite a lot about being healthy. Um, you know, we, we have used evidence of people, you know, rates of obesity climbing, despite evidence that, you know, you should eat better and work out more, um, as, as evidence that people don't care about their health. But the reality is, as I mentioned. It's the fact that we have no feedback on the decisions that are leading to this. We use the bathroom scale as basically the only health data in our lives. So when when you provide an opportunity to see beneath the skin, essentially, to, to have a real-time measure of a molecule that's coursing through your body that is being used as your primary energy molecule that turns directly into energy or fat, depending on how you know you're how you're consuming and when you're consuming, um, it's it's like a huge unlock for awareness. And that's what people truly want. They want to know about me. They don't want to know about society on average. They want to understand what should I be doing differently? And so we, we really haven't done much besides create this, this concept and put it out there into the world. Um, and it has organically just spread like wildfire. We, uh, we've spent almost nothing on marketing. We've done podcasts and educational material on our blog, but it's really, if you look at it, uh, our social platforms are people sharing these insights that they're developing organically themselves. And they're sharing those with their network. And it's, it's really person to person spread in a way that is very promising, of course, for, you know, for product market fit. But more importantly, I think very promising for the future of the technology, people are ready to embrace it. You know, this is not something that's for biohackers or, or fringe sort of fitness freaks. It's for people who just want to know how to live healthier. And I think that that is really every one of us.
0: Got it. And for our listeners who are interested in using levels or want to try it, what will it cost them? Essentially, you know, how does the business model work here?
1: So right now, uh, the beta experience is $399 for the first month, and then $199 a month thereafter. And the, the reason for that price point today is the device costs themselves. So these are clinical grade sensors. They're, um, they're used today in, of course, the, uh, the monitoring and management of conditions of metabolic disorder. Um, what we need is to massively increase the volume of use. And so this is like the traditional market forces. When you open up a massive market multiple times larger than the existing one, uh, supply and demand can do their thing and we can bring pricing down. So I expect that in the longer term, once we once we launch and we uh, really scale volumes, uh, you know, our target is to be $99 a month. So more affordable than a gym, more affordable than a nutritionist and something that is continuously there helping you kind of guide your lifestyle. Um, I think we can get there I would say, you know, hold me to it, but in less than three, three to five years, we'll be, we'll be in that $99 a month range.
0: That's awesome. And certainly making it more affordable is naturally going to help growth significantly as well. You guys also raised $12 million in your most recent round. How are you allocating the capital and what are you foreseeing in the near future?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we raised uh, through a number of vehicles, like started off with safe notes early on and then uh, raised our, our large round that was led by A16Z. And and yeah, so right now we're a very lean organization. We were remote even before COVID. Um, and so we we don't have office overhead. We, we have a distributed team who are able to live wherever they want and, and live, you know, sort of in, in that area that is best for them without affecting their sort of compensation capability, So we're, we're dedicated to being a truly remote first organization. And that's been really beneficial to keeping burn low. Um, but more importantly, we, you know, we have a lot of dry powder, but it's, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, it's a lot, it's very easy to burn through resources, right? It's, it's very hard to, to stay focused when you're well capitalized and execute on the key priorities for the company. So what we're focused on is Developing the product that leads to the behavior change that is necessary. Uh, our company mission is to solve the metabolic health crisis, and it is you, you currently have half a billion people globally with preventable type two diabetes, and that number is increasing at an increasing rate. So it's critical that we we develop something that is that is you know in a sense sticky that it retains on its own because people are learning from it and they're implementing the lessons learned. And so that's, that's where we are today. We're in, in beta mode, just, um, continually inter- iterating and focusing on our, on our member feedback and making sure that the, you know, the features we roll out are the ones that, that will lead to the highest, you know, sort of bang for the buck and actionability. And, uh, right now that's, that's a fairly, that's a fairly affordable process. Frankly, we've got, we've got good runway. Now the, it, it is also time sensitive. We want to get this out there into the world and have people, you know, again, expand this, this market and move beyond glucose to other health molecules that are really important. So, um, you know, today, again, we're, we're hanging back. We're not, we're not really doing much beyond extreme product development. And, um, once we do hit that, uh, you know, hit that milestone where we feel the product is where it needs to be, which I expect will be quite shortly later this year, um, that's when we're going to hit growth mode. And and then that's where, you know, the, the money pipeline is very important, right? It's uh, it's to help access channels and, and then amplify.
0: Right. And a bit of an open-ended question here, but what does success look like for you guys?
1: Well, I, I think to answer the question in in terms of numbers, I, I think, you know, we have today 88 million people with prediabetes, and of them, something like ninety percent, seventy to ninety percent, depending on the study, will eventually convert to type two diabetes if they don't change something. And so I would like to prevent the next ninety million. Cases of type two diabetes here in the U S and ideally the next 400 million globally. And, and that requires, uh, you know, years, right. We're going to have to see long-term outcomes to know that that was achievable. So to me, success is widespread adoption of biowearable technology. So whether, you know, frankly, whether it's levels or someone else, like this needs to happen. People need to use their health data in real time to make decisions. Today, you go to the doctor, you get some information, and that gets archived. You don't refer to it. You don't, it doesn't tell you what to eat for lunch. And what we need is a, is a world where you sit down and you, you're going to eat lunch. You don't need a PhD in nutritional biochemistry. You have intel from your own body on what you're going to eat and why. And, uh, it goes beyond nutrition, of course, but that's the point is that we, we have the technology. It's just a matter of building it or organizing it in such a way that people have access to it and that it is insightful. And that's the, once we're in that future, I think the problem takes care of itself. People become healthier because they, they have no reason
0: not to. Okay. That really helped put things in perspective. So thank you for that. Josh, what would be your one piece of advice to an aspiring entrepreneur or someone who's currently building their company?
1: Well, <laughs> this is a great question. I, I think I have to say from my own experience, trust your instincts. Um, if you, if you feel convicted in something, it, although these might feel like points in tension, um, trusting your instincts and also get, getting feedback from other people that you trust, uh, you'll sometimes come you'll come up with something that people will push back on and think is not a great idea. And I certainly ran into that myself, but I wouldn't take that as the idea is invalid. What it means is that you need to hone your, your sort of um, you need to hone your pitch for yourself and for those around you, because at the end of the day, the team is everything. And although you you may have something really important and that's where the, you know, trusting your instincts piece comes in, you more importantly need to develop the team in order to achieve it. There, there is really no solo success in my opinion. And, um, and so I think you need to like anyone who's working on a problem that seems like it would change their lives. You're probably onto something, but you, you you should work on it until you can get somebody that you trust to believe in it as well. Because that's the first step, I think, towards success. Uh, it's it's building the team and being able to to pitch great people on it and get them to believe in the mission.
0: All right. Amazing advice and insights from Josh Clemente, the co-founder and president of Levels. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, take care, everyone. Cheers.